Greetings, it's uh, so good to be here and welcome to our home and you're joining uh, me with our staff uh, team together to uh, have a moment where we cast some vision and and by the way you can see there is no uh, PowerPoint, there's no screen next to me so we're going to be putting our uh, notes or points in the chat below so it's going to be a, a really interactive moment but welcome to our home and welcome to a moment where we just want to cast a bit of vision. We just want to talk about who we are as a community and where we're going and what does God have to say into this um, this wonderful thing called vision. Vision is so crucial to any church, any community, and and we want to be a community with vision. And uh, I was actually reading uh, scripture this morning, as uh, hopefully all of us are doing, and I got to Psalm 139, which is just the most beautiful passage of scripture. And there's this one line, Psalm 139, verse 6, that just floored me. And I hope it floors you. It says, you have laid your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And the Psalm 139 is loaded with beautiful stuff. But that one line, you have laid your hand upon me. Now, I feel little sort of uh, shivers as I even say it now. You've laid your hand upon me. To, to think of this amazing concept that God himself has laid his hand upon us. What a, what a beautiful thought, especially in social distancing times. There is one who lays his hand upon us. I think back to my own childhood and having a dad who would lay his hands upon me, whether it was in a moment of sadness, maybe disappointment on the sports field. And the dad walks to you, puts his hands upon me and says, it's okay. It'll, it'll get better. You can try again. Get up and try again. Or, or in a moment of, of deep joy and ecstasy and your father comes and he lays his hands upon you. How much more the father in heaven who lays his hands upon us, who celebrates with us in our joys, who holds us in our challenges. How much more to know that we're a church of people who follow Jesus, who have his hand laid upon us. Psalm 139 says he has laid his hands upon us. I love the thought of um, uh, C.S. Lewis. He writes uh, in the book of uh, the story of Narnia, and he talks about the fact that Aslan is on the move, that God the Father is laying his hands upon people. And I just think of the last while, we can look ahead at vision and we can talk about all these things. And this is kind of a little bit of a different vision talk because there's so much that's uncertain, right? We actually don't know so many uh, answers to where exactly things will be. We can't answer the questions exactly on how we're going to gather and exactly what uh, church meetings will look like and things like that. There are things we are certain about. And the one is that he continues to lay his hand upon us. Think of uh, some of, some in our midst in our own congregation who for the first time in 40 plus years got to have a Christmas moment. I'm tearful today just thinking of what it means to be part of the church. They get to have Christmas with their mother who is now a believer, who now follows Jesus, who gets to celebrate in the Christmas story. Or a dad who's walking on the beach this Christmas for the first time in two decades free from addiction able to enjoy his family, to enjoy his wife, to enjoy the wonder of God liberating, God freeing. That's the story we're a part of. And that's the vision that we get to share. And that's what it means to be part of Common Ground Church. Bloberg is to be part of the stories of people. 
it's quite an interesting thing that uh, as a pastor, you get these moments in life where people come to you. And uh, every now and again, I have these moments where somebody will come and they'll, they'll come to me with a proposal. And it's often a person who's part of our church, who I, at least I assume is part of our church, maybe in a life group or, um, you know, or hopefully is in a life group. And they'll say something to this effect. Hey, have you guys ever thought of, and I normally take a moment back and they'll make a suggestion maybe around, you know, how to do life groups better or how to do some part of our church better. And I, I can hardly listen to the next suggestion because my first sort of gasp is, who's you guys? I thought you were part of us. And so often in the life of the church, we can slip into a kind of consumer mentality where we look at the church almost like a product, like a gym or another organization, because we may be giving financially to it. And we go, I give and I get my goods and services. And so you guys who are running the show should be thinking about this, that and the next thing. Now, I get it. We as leaders are really intentional and planning a whole bunch of stuff about how to you know, lead the church. But when it comes to us guys, hey, we really want to encourage way more we's than you's in terms of what does it really look like to be the church? It's not to say, have you guys thought of this? It's to say, what is our story? What are we thinking about doing? And we really want to encourage you to consider changing your vocabulary to not have you guys at Common Ground Blowbig thought of, but what are we doing to do this, to, to better help people find and follow Jesus? What are we doing to better uh, reach people online? Whatever it may be, it's never you guys, it's us guys. I think of so many of the stories just of uh, the life of our community. I think of um, just the joy of watching somebody who gets freed from addiction. That's not their story. That's our story. If they're part of Common Ground Bloberg, that's our story. Or a person whose family member comes to faith, sure, that's their story, but it's it's our story. Or uh, I think of the six babies that have been born in the last couple of months to our church. <laughs> Thankfully, those aren't our kids. We've got plenty of those of our own. But that's our story. Those are children being born into our community. That's part of our family. 35 men praying together on a Tuesday morning. That's our story. That's us. That's not just because those 35 men, that's not for 35 men who are praying. That is our story. Wives, children, future wives, colleagues are the benefactors of those 35 men who get together and pray because it's our story. It's what we are doing together. Same is true of people who've lost jobs, who've lost loved ones over the season. That's not their story. It's their pain, but it's also our pain, and it's our story. To think of Common Ground Church or to think of the church as an organization that provides goods and services is simply just erroneous. It's, it's unthinkable in the New Testament. The story of the, the church is that it's our vision. And what I share today, I hope, will be our vision. It'll be part of our story. And I want to speak to us out of a text that is uh, uh, Isaiah. I don't know if you've read this, Isaiah 54, verse 2 and 3. And it talks about um, this enlarging. The, 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 Isaiah's writing, he's a prophet. He's writing to the nation of Israel who are going through an immensely difficult time. They are facing all kinds of difficulty. Exile has become their story. They're no longer able to live in their own land, comfortable from the enemy that's around them. They were meant to be the people of God 
who were blessed by God and meant to be a blessing to the nations. And the world was meant to see who God was through them. And here they are in total disarray. They're in shambles. They are feeling despairing and cynical, probably, about the world they're in. And yet the prophet Isaiah, in uh, what most uh, sort of uh, translations of the Bible will talk about this passage as the eternal covenant, that God is making this eternal promise. And Isaiah writes this as in, in verse 2 of chapter 54. And he says this, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. This is a picture of a total contrast to what is actually happening. They are feeling like they just need to survive. And here Isaiah is prophesying a day that is coming where they would be stretching further. They would be reaching wider. It's the, it's the promise of the new covenant. It was the promise of the arrival of a Messiah who would make a global pl place for God to love the world, to show his amazing love. And yes, Israel didn't uh, manage to uh, match up to the expectations, but one did come from Israel. His name was Jesus, who became the fulfillment of this promise. And really, the picture of a tent is the picture of a home. It's a picture of the place where people would dwell. And that's the enlarge the place of your dwelling. This is the, the place of being at home. And so much of the New Testament actually speaks of the church, the local communities of God, as the household of God, the home. And he writes this one line that I want to focus in on. Because, hey, we don't know what our reach is at the moment. We know that there are so many uncertainties about how we as the church uh, can, can gather and do lots. But there are a few things we can be certain about in this season. And, and, and I love that language in verse 2. It says, strengthen your stakes. Strengthen your stakes. And I want to suggest in terms of vision for 2021 and the, the next sort of iteration of church, that God's going to call us to strengthen three stakes in the life of our community that will hopefully bear fruit and cause the tent of our church and the tent of our lives to be stretched wider, to be able to hold more life, the life of God in it, because we have put in three stakes more firmly into the ground. Just three stakes that we together can own. They're not uh, our stakes as staff members. They're not our stakes as elders. They're not our stakes as deacons or life group leaders. They are our stakes as Common Ground Church Bloberg that we all together get to hammer deeper into the ground of our lives so that we can reach wider into the life of our city. So here they are, and I'm going to speak about three of them. And the first one's the longest, and then the next two get shorter. So don't get bored in the first point. It's going to be fun. So here we go. First point is this, and they're all who's, they're questions. The first question I want to ask in terms of the stake that we ought to put in is this, who we're becoming, who you're becoming, who you're becoming. It's, it's a question of formation. It's a question of who you and I are actually becoming. I believe that the first and almost most important thing that we can control this year, because so much is out of control, so much is going to be taken away from so many of us as we watch economies struggling, as we watch businesses in, in need. There's one thing that can't be taken away from any of us. And it's who we're becoming. It's who you and I are being formed into. And the Bible is just filled with this, uh, this narrative of once you follow Jesus 
It's not about putting your hand up in a meeting, saying yes to the message and simply sitting in the back row for the rest of your life. That's a modern phenomenon, by the way, to be able to arrive at church, say yes to a message and have nothing change in the way that we live. It's, un it's unthinkable. Jesus calls us to this life whereby we don't just say yes to his truth. He says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. We say yes to his life beginning to flow in us and to transform us into people who begin to become more and more like him, who look more like him, who become the kind of people who are content in our own skin, who are happy to, to, to uh, delight in his creation without idolizing and worshiping his creation. We enjoy the creator over creation. I think uh, Dallas Willard says it best when he talks about how we can change and how we can actually be transformed. And he talks about these three letters, V-I-M, Vim. I think Vim is a cleaning agent, actually. And maybe that's what we need in our lives, is some cleaning, some transformation. And firstly, V talks about vision, having a vision for our own transformation. Do you have a, a vision for who you're becoming? Now, you don't need to think this one up. You don't need to imagine it. This isn't a self-help talk that you get to dream up the best version of you. This vision has been given to us. <laughs> Firstly, the vision is given to us in the life of Jesus. The follower of Jesus is called to become more and more transformed into the image of Jesus, to become like him. And, and I, my favorite verse in terms of being formed into the image of Jesus is Galatians chapter 5, which talks simply about the fact that we are called to bear the fruit of the Spirit become more loving people, to become more joyful, to become more kind, to become more patient. The, the, the fruit of the Spirit, and you can go through this beautiful list, is the fruit of a person who is being formed into the image of Jesus. He is the epitome of what it means to be the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. How are you doing when it comes to self-control? Do you have a vision for who you are becoming? And is it a biblical one? Is it one that is embodied in Jesus Christ? But I don't think it needs to stop there. I think if you've got a biblical vision uh, for who you're becoming, you also probably need to personalize it into your story. For myself, I'm a husband. Uh, as my first and foremost uh, calling, do I have a biblical vision for a Jesus-shaped husband that I'm becoming? more loving, more able to forgive, more able to quickly put my own desires aside to serve my wife, to serve next. Hey, there's this Jesus-shaped vision we should have for who we're becoming. Or, or as a dad, if you're a dad, or as a friend, if we're a friend, uh, as a person in, in the life of a community, as a colleague, whatever else it is, we can personalize this into who we are in all the different aspects of our life. Now, I've got a friend who says it's not real until you write it down. It's not real until you write it down, which I think gets to that thing of intention. See, you've got a vision for who you're becoming, but, but do you have intention? Are you, uh, in my words, are you hungry to become that kind of person? Are you genuinely discontent with staying the same? And are you longing to become more like Jesus? You need intention. There's vision, there's intention. And intention is where you actually begin to put pen to paper. You write it down and you say, hey, this is who I want to be in the name of Jesus for the glory of God and, and to become a person of true joy, not superficial happiness, true joy. I want to become this kind of husband. I want to become this kind of friend. I want to become this kind of person. And you're getting your inspiration from the person of Jesus Christ and the life he lives. And you start to go through that list. 
Hey, I'm so grateful to Dean who shared his story. He calls it a life manifesto. We, we call it a trellis for life or a rule of life. It's simply this, that you put pen to paper and you say, hey, this is who I believe God is calling me to become. It's going to take me decades and I'm going to practice and practice and practice. Which gets to the last one, which is means. What are the means of grace? What are the means that you're going to use to actually be transformed into his image? It's going to be things like time in God's presence, time in God's word, time in prayer, time with God's people. Hey, and that's not going to happen by accident. That's going to happen by intention. It's going to happen because you put it pen to paper and you created a life manifesto, a trellis for life. And you said, actually, I'm going to choose to do this because Jesus is not just the truth. He's also the way and he's the life. And I am wrapping my life around him. I'm not asking him to wrap himself around me and to fit my personal preferences. Hey, the main means, I think, is grace. It's grace. We, the means of transformation is not that you and I get super strong this year and we say, I am going to do it. The beautiful transforming power that really gets the, to the heart of it is when we realize that it's his work in us. That it's actually God who found us first. It's actually the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ who, who comes to find us before we found him. Who actually wants to walk with us whilst we are broken, whilst we're addicted, whilst we're struggling, whilst we still need healing. Yeah. And healing's a big one. I've realized that when it comes to transformation, we sometimes we want to fix things and put on a facade of strength. And we don't do the hard work of receiving real healing. Actual change. Actually realizing that in my past, I have got some real hurt. I've got some real stuff and I'm putting up a facade of strength, but underneath it, the reasons I'm angry and the reasons I have outbursts of rage or the reasons I'm addicted to whatever it is, the reasons you're struggling with that stuff is because we need healing. We need healing. And I've been so proud of so many of the people in our community who've waved the white flag and said, help me. Been in the life of a community where it's been maybe a friend calling on a friend and saying, can you read this book with me? Uh, so grateful for two men in our church who've been reading a book of dealing with addiction. And, and the one guy thought he was going to help his buddy by reading the book with him and <laughs> realized he was also struggling with his own addictions. And hey, we want to walk journeys with each other of healing because it's out of that genuine space that we get to actually be transformed. Who are you becoming? It's the first question. Like I said, it's the longest question, but it's an important one for who we are becoming as a church and what our vision is. The second thing I want to speak about is who are you loving in the name of Jesus? The first one is who you're becoming speaks about formation. The second one is who are you loving speaks about God's mission. <laughs> this is an immensely gifted community we're in. We are seriously blessed with the kinds of people that live and breathe in the life of our church. Filled with talents and filled with time and filled with uh, finances even, treasures that are, are ours. The question is, is who are we loving with those? Who are we actually giving our energy and our love to so that we're, we're living beyond ourselves? Hey, watching people walk from a journey of broken to healing is to understand that most people don't need to fix themselves along only, but actually need to begin to love others. Part of our healing journey is to think less of ourselves and think of others and learn to love other people. And the question I would ask you on your journey of healing into the image of Jesus is, who are you loving along the way? 
Who are you loving in two main ways? And I always look at the mission of God in two main ways. Is firstly, there's a message, and secondly, there's mercy. Jesus seemed to have these two pedals of mission. He says, be people who have the message, the message of the kingdom, that Jesus has come in the name of God as the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to show that there is a new way. There's new hope. There's a, there's a new kingdom that has broken out into this world that sin and Satan and death have been beaten. That there is a chance for a new life. That surrendering to him is the only way to receive true life. That's what it means to have a message. How powerful that message is when it gets tied into our story. And that we as a church have a story to share. I hope we know that. I hope we all understand that we don't just have the message. The message gets intertwined with our story. And it's therein that lies the power as you share your story of how Jesus has been walking with you through your own struggles, your own need for love or affirmation and what you found in God to be true. That's where the message starts to move in great power. Are you sharing your story? Are you living out of your story and, and, and sharing it with your colleagues, with your family members? Are you anticipating this Christmas arriving and you get to share the Christmas story? And a Christmas meal with people who last Christmas didn't know the message, but this Christmas are enjoying and celebrating with you. I hope that's the kind of vision you've got for your life, because it's the kind of vision I have for my life and for the people that I will have Christmas with. And when that happens, it won't be my story. It will be our story. It will be what we share together in this beautiful vision. There's a message and there's also mercy. Who are we in the name of Jesus looking to be merciful towards to live out this message of incredible grace we need a, we're in a world that needs mercy it's easy to look down our noses at people with different political persuasions people with different life circumstances and somewhere deep down to go to say something like well they've earned it they deserve it and the beautiful fact of the gospel is that i don't get what i deserve I get the love I don't deserve. I receive the mercy of Jesus. I'd be nowhere without this beautiful mercy. And I hope that we are a people of mercy towards the lost, towards the least, towards the marginalized, towards those who are struggling to make a living, that we are a people of mercy who are able to help and to love and to extend ourselves beyond ourselves, whatever that may be. I don't know your spheres. I don't know who it is that each of us are connected to, but I do know that mercy is throbbing in the heart of Jesus, and it should be throbbing in our hearts. So who are you loving, and who are you becoming? And then thirdly, who are you doing it with? Who are you doing it with? Uh, I think in this COVID season, uh, the church isn't being redefined. As some people often say, I think the church is being rediscovered. I think the meaning and the purpose of genuine relationships that are about helping us to love and follow Jesus are being freshly appreciated. And I hope that's true in your life. I really do. Because the community of God is the most fundamental relational network that is a part of being a follower of Jesus. We can't do without it. The New Testament totally frazzles out in its brain to consider having a person who says they're a follower of Jesus, but who isn't integrally connected into the life of a local church. It, it, it's incompatible. The New Testament just doesn't have a category for a follower of Jesus who isn't also deeply connected to the life of a church, who hasn't found a life group to, to do life with, to grow friendships with. 
Hey, we just uh, started a fresh life group and it has been the thrill of the start of our year, building fresh relationships, having a fresh vision for who we're becoming and who we're learning to love and the stories. We've just been listening to stories over the last two weeks of the people in our life group and it's been one of the highest privileges to just hear where people are at and to hear the journey that we are embarking on as we begin to walk with each other and learn to love each other and to Formation, becoming more like Jesus, into mission, uh, loving other people as best we possibly can. Hey, we're sitting around a dining room table. And I know that in level three, we can't exactly sit around dining room tables with everyone we want to. But I would ask you this question. Who are you going to have around your dining room table this year? Who are you going to have around? And what stories are you going to share? And what uh, journey are you going to walk with people? Because that is your story, but it's our story. And our cumulative story is going to be one of loving people. Are you in a life group? I hope you are. If you're not, please be in touch with us because it is one of the primary playing fields, especially now, while there's no Sunday gatherings uh, in, in the way that we used to have it. It's our primary playing field for transformation, for sending us off into mission. And so it's really crucial. Hey, this is just a little rough overview. 2021 vision, the three who's. It could be called the owl vision, hey? <laughs> 2021 is going to be a good year. Owls see clearly. There's lots we can't see. There's so much that is just impossible to see. But there are some things we can do, some stakes we can put in, questions we can ask ourselves. Who are we becoming? Hey, and, and who are we going to do this with? It's a crucial, crucial question, man. Who are you going to love along the way? It's part of our mission. I land with a story. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous pastor from Germany. It makes me feel emotional as I think of his story because this man had such a profound impact into World War II. Nazi Germany was beginning to take over and become a really powerful force in Germany. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer starts to watch as the Nazi uh, Germans begin to infiltrate the, the, the church. And pastors are beginning to say yes to the agenda of the Nazi party. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer watches this and begins to realize this is going to become a dangerous thing. If the church isn't independent, if the church isn't primarily led by Jesus, it's going to become a dangerous thing for the church because Christ is the head, not a, a, a party. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer starts this little college in Finkenwalder for pastors. It's kind of underground because they can't... Uh, you know, they can't publicize that they are overtly against the Nazi party. And so these pastors go to Finkenwalder and would spend months, even years there being trained up in the ways of Jesus, really, and following Jesus and learning to, tr to trust him and, and to then coach other people to do the same and to be a church that is under Jesus, not under anyone else. One day he gets a guest and uh, takes him for a walk up a mountain. I think it was his brother-in-law. And they take this walk up a mountain and he gets this amazing view where he gets to look down on the one side of the valley, which is the Finkenwalder um, uh, sort of college where he's training pastors. And on the other side, he sees the Nazi training camp. And there's this two uh, powers on either side. And he looks and he says to the, the, this friend of his, he says, this has to be stronger than this. This has to be stronger than this. And as he looks upon it, what he's saying is he's saying, what we are becoming has to be stronger, it has to outlast and it has to outlive what they want to do. And amazingly, 10, 15 years later, 
the Nazi party was no more. And everyone in many moments in the World War II would have thought, this is the end. They have won. And yet, today, we don't remember the stories of the Nazi party as much as we remember the stories of a few pastors who held on, who continued to believe that what's most important is who we're becoming and who we're doing it with and, and who we are choosing to love in the name of Jesus. Hey, I wonder if we would be the kind of church who looks over at the powerful forces of culture and the dominant narratives of society and says, this, our story, our vision, the story of God and the mission of God and the purposes of God through Common Ground Church and many other churches, this must be stronger than that. And that we are a people who together share that narrative, who share that story and encourage each other into that bright future. And we plug those stakes in as best we can. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do pray that we would be those who carry this vision, who love you more than we love other stuff, that we understand that your ways are the ways of life, that you are the one who leads us into the way of life, and that, Jesus, there is no better person to follow than you. Jesus, to answer those questions, of who we're becoming, we want to become more like you. And and who are we loving? We want to love people the way you love people. And and Jesus, to, to answer each of these questions, we need your grace. We need your help. You are our means of transformation. You are our means of mission. You are our means of becoming a kind of people who reflect your love. So won't you coach us to, to love you, to love each other, and to love our world as best we possibly can. That we'd answer those those uh, who questions with you as the centerpiece, with you as the, the delight as we do that. And we thank you for our church. Thank you for Common Ground Bloberg. Thank you for the stories of grace that continue to permeate us, that continue to come from us and to us and through us. We don't think we are the end result, God. Jesus, you are the end result. We want to follow you. This is not our story. In the words of John the Baptist, we must decrease, you must increase. We pray that that would be true of us today, that that would be true of us in 2021, that we uh, make much of you and that you bless that work and that our tents go wider and our pegs go deeper as we put the stakes of your grace into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.